0: Welcome, uh, everyone, again to uh, the Heartland Chronicles. This is episode two. My name is Alex Iftimi. and my name is Mark Ozawa. These are our views.
1: What everybody wanted to know is what's what's Biden's policy when it comes to Central and Eastern Europe. We're gonna cover U.S.-Russia relations, Alex, Navalny, the Russian cyber attack against the uh, U.S., Biden's uh, climate policy, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, Syria. So there's there's a lot of topics. So I'll start. I'll start very with, with with the first question, Mark. You've written a great article on the Biden administration and and Russia, and with the U.S.-Russian relations being now at 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 the, at the low point, can you tell us a little bit about how you see the the policies in the Biden administration with regards to Russia?
0: Thanks, Alex. The article came about because uh, I. I- first started thinking about this actually before the, the US elections. And I was going on information that the uh, the Biden campaign had had made about its intentions. There were also some signals coming from Russia about what sort of a, a position the, uh, Russia would have uh, with the Biden administration. So I thought it would be worthwhile to think about not only what the Biden administration's positions would be uh, vis-à-vis Russia, but also what would be possible for the Biden administration to actually do or act upon to make good on the signals that it was sending.
1: I, I think. I mean, I think it's a, it's a great piece that that uh, that you wrote, and I think especially because it's it's only natural that people wonder there's a change of administration in and, 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 and the greatest country in the world. And it's only natural that people wonder what, what, what direction is the new administration going to take? And, and I, was, I was worried too. I think everybody was. And, and where I got you know, excited and, and a lot of these worries kind of started to go away is when I saw the nominee for, for the CIA uh, for the Biden administration. I mean, if, if you look at, at William Burns, who used to be a U.S. ambassador to Russia uh, between 2005 and 2008. He understands Russia, he speaks Russian. And when he talks about, about dealing with Russia, he makes sure that, you know, he says we need to be strong on Putin, but at the same time, we have to make sure that we don't turn our backs to the Russians. What that also highlights, is that the relationship between Russia and the United States will be very important for, for the Biden administration. Because otherwise, you know, a, a former Russian ambassador would not be selected to be uh, the head of the CIA. One
0: that's, of the big things that
1: Biden will have to deal with, like now, is everything that's happening with uh, Alexei uh, Navalny. He was poisoned with Novichok, and now went back uh, to, to Russia and was arrested for not showing up in court. Any advice that you would give President uh, Biden on how to deal with uh, um, mm. with uh, Navalny's uh, situation?
0: A couple of things come to mind. There should be a, a balanced approach uh, to Russia. It's also very important to um, to take a look at the implications of the Biden administration from a Russian perspective. I would argue that U.S.-Russia relations is probably still the most strategic bilateral relation that uh, Russia has. That may come across as uh, counterintuitive when you think about uh, Russia's actions over the last five uh, five or so years towards the US uh, in terms of uh, election meddling, in terms of disinformation campaigns, uh, in terms of statements being made if you look at uh, statements made by Russian politicians and in Russian media, there's still always the comparative of the U.S. towards Russia. Uh, even though there there may be a lot of uh, animosity uh, and a lot of criticisms toward towards the U.S., the U.S. still receives uh, the most attention from Russian media about what's going on in. In international politics, I think that with respect to N- Navalny, uh, first of all, I was a little surprised that he went back uh, to Russia. Surprised, but after reflecting, it's sort of consistent with his with some of his actions over the last years. I mean, he's had he, he's gone through a lot. Uh, not only this poisoning, he's had other instances where you know he's been accosted. Uh, and attacked at some of his rallies uh, in public uh, with uh, chemicals that, discoloration chemicals that that could that could have been poisonous, from anonymous, uh, random people who were who could have been um, could have been secret service uh, personnel, and uh, he always bounces back. Uh, and gets right back into it he 's never intimidated regardless of what you think of his politics or if you think he would be good for Russia. Um, and there is some disagreement even within Russian intellectual circles about some of his, uh, some of his positions, particularly his, his sort of stoking nationalist views. Um, he is uh, he's, he's not intimidated he also produced a documentary film uh, in Russian. Uh, and this film was released, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's about accusations of corruption, uh, the, the kleptocracy uh, of Putin. And he did this uh, while he was recovering um, from the Nalichuk poisoning, and then went back to Russia. And now you've got uh, protests erupting throughout the country he's in prison Uh, his wife i believe has been detained which is a first but there there is now a um, um i think a growing visible alternative to uh to putin and if there is any alternative in leadership to putin uh at least for now it looks like uh, it, 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 there's no other figure that I can imagine, except for, um, except for Navalny.
1: Right. At least nobody that we can see outside of, uh, outside of Russia. And it's interesting what you mentioned about how important it is on the Russian media, this comparison with the United States.
0: Yes. And
1: yeah. I think because of that, it's it's at least from my perspective, I think it's very important for President Biden. One, to, to make sure that, uh, you know, lobbies for, uh, for uh, Alexei Navalny's uh, release, that's one. And, and two, that he supports uh, the, the protesters that are currently uh, in the streets of Russia uh, demanding uh, more democratic rights within the yes. country. Yes.
0: It's so. interesting, the timing of this certainly plays in in Biden's favor uh, it's a huge distraction for uh, Putin and uh, and the Kremlin at the moment and it gives a, a, a policy starting point for uh, for the Biden administration in rolling out or uh, announcing its Forward-looking strategy on Russia and its forward-looking uh, policy on Russia. I think that the current announcement of wanting to uh, wanting to maintain or renew uh, the existing arms control agreements for another five years.
1: Yeah, I think well, I think I that's, and that and that kind of brings us to to the next um, to the next topic that we're going to discuss is is the the strategic arms reduction treaty that's due to expire on on February five, and so on. On the one hand, uh, right there is there there is uh, right a a lot of issues where where Russia and the U.S. disagree upon, but there are other things where they have to collaborate on, and, and this is one of them. And I know Biden came out and, and he did ask for he he wants to push it to the right by about five years. So I, I and from from what I've seen on the Russian side, with the Kremlin's uh, spokesman uh, Dmitry Peskov, it seems like uh, Russia is amenable to uh, to pushing this to the right. That's a good so, point.
0: If if there's going to be, it's interesting because the first the first concrete Proposal coming out of the Biden administration towards Russia is is on this. There is another Russia-related response. It's uh, the intention to do a full investigation on the extent of the the hacking. It's not a conflictual statement, I guess, uh, for I'm, both I'm, sides. I'm, you too. know,
1: I, I think I think we disagree here because you know it's already been made public that. Russia was behind the, the the hacks, the recent hacks against the U.S. Mm-hmm. critical infrastructure. Everybody's talking about the cozy bear, or associated at least with uh, with the SVR, mm-hmm. and the Biden administration has to to shed some light on on what exactly is is happening, mm-hmm. and what can be done to stop it. Because this is not a a, a new incident. This is not mm-hmm. just it's been happening for several years now. And they're getting more and more bold mm-hmm. on on how they uh, they access U.S. critical infrastructure, and it has to stop.
0: Yeah. So, I, yes. I I, I think um, you know I, I agree with you there. Um, I I think that the the announcement uh, was not necessarily uh, could be interpreted by Russia in in a number of ways. I was thinking of the announcement of doing a full review. Of the extent of the attack, as not about attributing uh, it to Russia. I think that's uh, that's that's done. Um, but uh, uh, but in the course of the investigation, and my understanding is that the um, the outgoing administration didn't really do a full investigation. Uh, so in the course of the investigation now, it does give the Biden administration time to think about what an appropriate response would be for uh, for not only this hacking but also uh, election meddling in uh, the 2016 election um, so uh, so yeah I I, I, I think that um, uh, we're still waiting uh, we're still waiting to see what the uh, what price Russia is going to pay for these actions, uh, if any.
1: I completely agree, yes. The cyber uh, issues are not, uh, it's not the only topic where you see some divergence. One of them, I think, is also uh, the Arctic. With the ice melting, uh, what's happening now, we have a corridor for that opens uh, the way for transportation, for ships to move mm-hmm. on the northern uh, border of, of russia so you have new routes for transportation that both russia and china can can now use and take advantage of mm-hmm. and also it offers a, a new um race for fuels in the arctic it offers the possibility also for the militarization of the arctic
0: mm-hmm.
1: and also what i found interesting is is the topic of you know having a, a moratorium on uh, on drilling in the Arctic and, and doing oh, yes. that yeah and doing that through the, mm-hmm. the Arctic Council, making sure that no other entity that is associated with the Arctic Council mm-hmm. is gonna go in and start drilling.
0: That, that's interesting. When I when I first uh, heard about that announcement, I immediately thought of it in the context of Drilling in the North Slope uh, and in Northern Alaska, and so I, I, I saw it as more of a domestic issue. I, I, I wasn't thinking about uh, the implications for uh, the entire Arctic, but that's a good point. I uh, think I
1: think if it wasn't if it was, it would have been just domestic. They would have kept it at domestic, but with the involvement of, of the of the Arctic Council. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. It's,
1: it's meant to be okay. Hmm. If we're not going to do it, we don't want anybody else to do it either. That's right. Because what's going to happen is once Russia starts drilling in the Arctic automatically, in order to protect those investments, you will have military being positioned in the Arctic. And this is something that the United States and President Biden wants to avoid.
0: Yes. And given all the activity over the last few years, this is an issue of, will be an issue of growing importance. The one project that I've been sort of uh, following on the side is the expansion of Yamal, LNG. There's strong Chinese participation in the first phase. And in this phase, what, what I think presents some complexities is the, the, the next partner for phase two is uh, French Total. And that introduces a degree of European interests in the project. Total is a European company. So, uh, I think the first question that comes to my mind is what are the implications of sanctions on the project, considering that there's now a European actor and investor?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised at all mm-hmm. about uh, the French company uh, being involved in, in the project. <laughs> yes. I mean, we see this also playing, we talked about last time with Nord Stream 2. Mm-hmm. where it's, you know, the project is moving forward with, with the building with uh, French, Italian, Austrian companies mm-hmm. just completely ignoring a lot of the sanctions that are out there on, on Nord Stream 2. So the fact that now you have a French company also and mm-hmm. in, 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 in another LNG uh, project uh, is, is not, uh, mm-hmm. is not quite, a, quite a surprise. With regards to China and LNG, it hasn't been very profitable for the U.S. to bring LNG to Europe. So what I think what will also happen over the next year, we will start seeing a shift mm-hmm. into the LNG supplies from the United States mm-hmm. going to China. Yeah. And that's also going to affect Russia because now you will have US LNG competing with Russian LNG. And the question now is, well, how is this playing along with the long-term climate goals. We now know that uh, Biden has uh, brought us back, brought the United States back. Right. Into the Paris Agreement.
0: Which was expected, Yeah,
1: Which was expected, of course, because the Paris Agreement was also the product of, of, the, of the Obama-Biden administration and mm-hmm. Biden was directly involved in, in, in building the, the project. Now, this is another area where we may see some collaboration. So Russia did sign, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. right? They, they entered yes. uh, t- the agreement in 2019, I think 2020. Now they have a, a, a natural strategy on, on environmental issues. Uh, so yes. when it comes yeah. to the environment, Russia is, is willing to, to be a, an active participant
0: mm-hmm. in
1: an issue that is affecting all of us.
0: Yes, that's that's an excellent point. What's interesting about climate change in Russia, it, it doesn't come up a lot in the discussions about Russian domestic and, and, and foreign policy. But, uh, and the reason that I, I've i had some experience with this is a, a formal doctoral student who wrote a thesis on Russian domestic energy policies. I was part of her uh, doctoral uh, committee and got a chance to sort of Uh, get to know uh, Russian domestic policies around climate change and and the environment. And this was in 2016, 2017. And there was already a clear indication in policies that were being implemented that to some degree, this is a topic that the the Russian government takes seriously. This particular doctoral candidate, she was uh, a student at a Finnish university and so the the, uh, the policy recommendations coming out of the thesis had to do with technology cooperation between Finnish companies and, and Russian energy companies. But what was interesting is it was very clear that there, there was sincere interest on the Russian side to develop technologies and to at least experiment with tweaking some policies. And I think that what we will probably be entering is, an area of potential cooperation between Russia and the West that can be compartmentalized and separated from some of the more confrontational uh, political issues, much like terrorism has been in the
1: past. Yeah, I mean, you know, countries, uh, not just Russia, but Central and Eastern Europe, they need to do more. To cut down on on co2 emissions legislation will have to be passed especially in, in in russia yeah it's winter it's winter and the prices for gas went up the prices for electricity went up and now you have a lot more people using uh, wood to keep the houses warm
0: for heating you yeah. know
1: and in the winter with the snow with the cold there's not a lot of green you you smell that i mean you go out and, and you smell the smoke and that's, again, pollution. Um, yeah. So this needs to trickle down to the citizens and to the people, and for them to understand mm-hmm. that it's important to, to care about our environment. The climate is changing. And I think we have to start taking responsibility at the personal level when it comes to climate change. And, and this needs to be pushed by the Biden administration to have all these big countries take responsibility. And, and I think you will go and ask the big players, you need to do more. Russia needs to do more, China needs to do more so yes,
0: and you know i don 't need to tell you that uh, for for some time natural gas was uh, viewed as as one of these bridging fuels in in the energy transition cycle, and it has implications on European and Russian uh, relations it'll be interesting to see w- how that's going to affect the role of natural gas in the overall energy matrix of uh the continuing uh energy transition in europe
1: yeah i mean um, if you look already in germany uh, with with uh, state elections that are happening in 2021 the narrative is already setting natural gas as a transition fuel mm-hmm. the narrative is pushing that germany needs the Russian gas. It doesn't really need it, but that's how the narrative has been shaped.
0: Do you think there's going to be any sort of shift in the US position towards Germany in terms of sanctioning Nord Stream 2 in the transition between the Trump and the Biden administrations?
1: I think neither President Biden nor Angela Merkel need the headache. Of, of a dispute, and they both want to improve relations. So I think there's interest in both both sides to 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 improve relations. At the same time, Angela Merkel cannot afford to say we're going to give up on Nord Stream two because that will cost points. On, on these state elections that are going to have to happen. Because the uh, opposition will say she gave up to pressure from President Biden. So, uh, what I think it's going to be in, in the interest of both, both sides to postpone the issue, reach an agreement where this is being pushed to the right, at least for now. Talk about this after uh, the German elections. If, if, <laughs> if, at least this is why I, what I would advise President uh, Biden to push for.
0: I was reminded of uh, Nord Stream 2 uh, this past week, I, uh, I'm working on a paper now that involves, uh, well, it, it's on broadly the gray zone and, uh, hybrid, hybrid warfare. And I, uh, you know, energy policy and, uh, energy security Comes up as one aspect uh, of this paper, which we explored in our research paper uh, in in much more great detail. I sent it out. I sent it out for a review, and uh, got some some feedback. Uh, I was surprised that the the thrust of the feedback was geared towards Nord Stream 2. Uh, about the distinction between commercial interests and political interests. Still strikes me as as a bit one-dimensional is that projects like Nord Stream 2 are economic, purely business, and uh, should not be, and cannot be uh, part of any sort of broader strategic uh, discussions or debates.
1: For Germany, it's it's purely economic and it helps with their transition to, to clean energy as, as they define it. But if you look at all the narratives, all, all, all the narratives tend to be a little bit biased, obviously, depending on who, who writes them. And it's really hard to stay pragmatic because they expect you to take a position and not just your own position, they expect you to take their position. Mm. And if you haven't taken their position, then automatically your paper is flawed. Another one, another issue now that that I'm looking where uh, Russia and the United States may this time collaborate is Iran.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think if we if we switch switch to to, to the topic of of the Iran nuclear agreement that mm-hmm. we know that President Trump has has pulled out of, mm-hmm. are we going to have an agreement back on the table?
0: Well. <laughs> what do you think uh, okay
1: i'll 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 take i'll take the first uh first stab at it you know it's it's no longer just the original players like when they reached out the agreement Uh, Mm. uh, now you also have to consider uh israeli Mm. and uh, saudi arabia as key players in these Mm. negotiations so i think the negotiations now have gotten a little, little bit tougher now, what's, what's been very interesting uh, is that this is, again, another one of those topics where Russia and the United States have worked very closely and very well together. Uh, so I expect mm-hmm. that this will continue, but it won't be as okay. easy as, as before, because now you also have to consider those Israeli and Saudi Arabia interests, which... Under the current administration, I think they're not going to quite align with those of the United States.
0: I can see that. And uh, I think it's worth exploring uh, potential cooperation with Europe and and Russia on this issue. My, my sense is that over the last few years, ever since uh, the Trump administration withdrew uh, the U.S. from the nuclear agreement, that Russia has been uh, making its own overtures and, and and further developing its bilateral relations with Iran. I expect in the near term a lot of criticism towards the US from Russia on having left the agreement in the first place. I expect Russia to try and get as much value from that uh, as they can, uh, publicly at least. but in the near term, some of these other conversations could take place, especially if representatives from the Biden administration, as you pointed out, have existing knowledge and relations on the Russian side and can start having those conversations on on day one.
1: I I think the main challenge will be there on the side of Iran, especially when now you have threats coming from Iran against now a former US president which should not be taken lightly, Yes. within the current status. Mm -hmm. Negotiations cannot start until the spirits calm down a bit.
0: I think Uh, that that, that's a good general statement to make about the next few months is allowing things to sort of calm down. (laughs) I expect given the the transition the the change of administration in Washington at least for the next few months to be a sort of period of uh, of some some um, some calming uh, and uh, reassessing I'm not sure especially if, uh,
1: because the priority will be the economy the economy is 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 being hit globally, not just in the United mm-hmm. States. So I think the priority will be uh, will be the economy, but at the same time I don't think we're gonna we're gonna close our eyes with what's happening in Syria. It's quite interesting if you look at Syria, who is now called Biden to get out of Syria, and unfortunately Russia is supporting this regime. So the United States and and Russia do not agree, especially mm-hmm. yeah. and, and President Biden uh, having seen the atrocities that have happened where the, with the with the Syrian regime bombing and killing its own people with chemical weapons,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is unacceptable. I don't see uh, the, the Biden administration changing uh, changing course or, or closing their eyes mm. on the situation. If anything, I think they will be even more strict than what we've seen under the Trump administration, particularly when it comes to human rights uh, records.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. You know that, that's the human rights issues that were always sort of uh, the bedrock of U.S. foreign policy. I think are going to uh, going to come back more visibly, uh, certainly in this administration. They, they've sent out signals to that, and I think one of the first uh, statements made uh, about China finally recognized the uh, internment camps. The Uyghur community uh, recognized it as as a type of genocide, and uh, and of course, you know, there was an immediate uh, refuting of that uh, from China.
1: I think President Trump has been quite uh, uh, flexible on on these human rights uh, violations. I, I don't expect that uh, President Biden will.
0: Yes, yeah, I, I would agree. All right, well, uh, Alex, it's been another uh, uh discussion on developments in uh, in Central and Eastern Europe. We both expect changes in the the, uh, uh, US-Russia bilateral relations in the Biden administration to have ripple effects uh, through into into other areas. We talked uh, uh, about implications on climate policy, uh, developments in the Arctic region, uh, and on some energy projects and also in the Middle East. So I think we covered a lot in this episode, uh, but these, I think, are some of the certainly, certainly the, the issues that I think are, are going to be prominent in the coming months uh, in, the, in the first outset of the, the Biden administration. Are there, do you have any last thoughts before we sign off?
1: Well, I, I, I wanted to thank you, Mark, for, uh, for you know, being the, the drive in, in, in this project and, 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 and coming up with it once again. And I want to thank everybody for joining us for yet another episode of the Heartland Chronicles. And we look forward to having you uh, for our next uh, episode where we're going to do it live this time. We're going to try to have a couple of people uh, joining us as well and uh, this will also uh, allow you to join us and ask questions.
0: All right, looking forward to it. Yep, okay, thanks, uh, Alex, and uh, thanks everyone for joining us. See you next time. Okay, cheers. Cheers, Bye.
1: Yes, we did it. I'm not there, so I know you can't throw a book at me, so I'm safe,
0: you know? <laughs> Yes, Sarajev <laughs>